For AZPM, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, find out about Here I Am, a celebration of 100 years of women's history from composer Jocelyn Hagen. Meet Chanel Bragg. She's making her directorial debut at the Arizona Theater Company with a new production of The Glass Menagerie. And explore a new album called Quietly Loud. All of the lyrics were written by artists who are non-speaking members of the autism community. Those stories are next on Arizona Spotlight. Celebrating and illuminating 100 years of women's history is the inspiration for Here I Am, a new work by Jocelyn Hagen, who's been named a composer-in-residence with Tucson's True Concord Voices and Orchestra. To understand more, I spoke with Jocelyn Hagen and True Concord Managing Director Wells Kaufman. Wells will begin by explaining the scope of this multimedia project. Eric Holton, the founding music director of True Concord, had known Jocelyn and had programmed her notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci a couple of seasons ago. It was a huge hit with audiences, musically, but also because of the beautiful projections, which were actually from uh, the, the notebooks, which have had various names, the Hammer Codex, the Gates Codex, and things like that. It's a wonderful booklet, really, of drawings and all these sort of magical things. With the approaching 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, Eric had the idea to commission Jocelyn to write a piece celebrating the 100 years of most women's rights to vote in America. So that's where this 35-minute work came from, and it's a fascinating piece. Jocelyn started with text, and I'll let her tell you about that. It was the libretto for the piece, spoken and sung, um, that drove the writing of the music in many ways. So she commissioned seven female artists from around the world to do portraits of these 46 women. There are 50 total, so a couple of them doubled up. Um, And they're in different media. Some are painted, some are charcoal, some are acrylic, all sorts of wonderful things. Jocelyn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Take us back to the origins of Here I Am. What was the spark? This was a really interesting project for me to wrap my head around because The commission came right before 2020, so in 2019, and I was aware of several other female composers who had also been commissioned to write pieces based on the women's suffrage movement, and I wanted mine to be different. I knew that all of our pieces would be different in their own way, but I wanted mine to speak really in something that was very true to me. And for me, I kept coming back to this idea that the voices of women from around the world need to be validated. And we are still fighting for rights in all countries of the world. We're still fighting for for some basic rights. With Here I Am, I wanted to focus on the words of women, women who were activists, women who were um, making art, making statements, um, had beautiful things to say. And then I realized that not only did I want to hear those words that they said, but I wanted to see their face while I was 
processing those words, especially since I'm such a visual person myself. So that's where the idea came to have the portraits at the same time. I'm also just a, a big fan of, of following different kinds of artists on social media and Instagram. And so I, I love watching time-lapse videos of art coming to life. And so within the projections of Here I Am, you'll see some of that. So not only will you see the portraits, but you'll see them emerge through the artist's pen or paintbrush. As the composition began to take shape, were you were you writing this at the piano yourself, or were you already thinking about bringing in other instruments and other sounds? I'm a pianist by by trade. That's That was my original instrument. So I sit at the piano a lot. And I'm also a singer. So I sing and play at the piano a lot. Um, but with a large piece like this that involves both a big choir and a soloist, and, and then also all the instruments of the orchestra, I transfer to the computer rather quickly so that I can hear things back and really start orchestrating all the different colors in, in the orchestra right away. And working with multiple singers, what kind of an opportunity is that for you in telling this story? One of my favorite things is really focusing on the voices of the women in the choir, the sopranos and altos. And the voices of the women in the ensemble do have a special role to play in this whole piece. Not only do they narrate, um, uh, actually coming up and, and speaking the lines um, that are part of the libretto, but then they are also singing and, uh, yeah, sometimes without the male voices. There's a moment near the end where there are three women from the choir that come forward and sing in three-part harmony. And to me, this is a very special moment because I come from a musical family and I grew up listening to my mom and her two sisters sing in three-part harmony. They sang some jingles on the radio at times and you know they were the church choir growing up. Those voices in my head are so strong. So that really represents me and who I am. And that's the final movement of Here I Am. You hear those three voices. And I know that will be extremely meaningful for me. Tell us about the visiting soloist, Wells. Who have you brought in and why was she chosen? Susanna Phillips, who will be singing the performances this January 2023, is known for doing new work. Um, she has commissioned things. She's done new operas. She is well known at the Metropolitan Opera for having created one of the roles in a piece by Kaya Saryaho, who's one of the fantastic Finnish, um, well, any nationality composers out there, a woman composer um, who has written a couple of operas, both of which have had a huge success around the world. And Susanna was part of those. But Susanna's also one of the best Mozart singers we have in the world today. And that's saying a lot because there are a lot of them. And she rises to the top. I was just reading an interview with her about her coming to Tucson to sing uh, Mozart Exultate Jubilate, which is also on the program. And Jocelyn's piece and she said there's a, a wonderful symmetry there's a wonderful connection and no one knew this at the time Susanna had yet to see Jocelyn's piece when she proposed doing the Mozart um, so we're very excited about having her with us for the first time and one of the things that excites me deeply about this piece is the fact that young women are going to have this experience, this world's premiere experience, which is a rare thing. We think it's pretty common, but it's a rare thing. And it's the Tucson Girls Chorus run by this extraordinary musician named Marcella Molina. And the young ladies will be up in the loge at Catalina Foothills Music Hall. So they'll sort of be angelic in a way from, from above. And uh, several of them will be doing some of the spoken text as well. 
wells beyond the concerts themselves. How can the local community get involved with Here I Am? How can they experience it beyond coming to hear the music being played? The best way to connect is to check out the exhibit at Hotel Congress in their lobby in their art space there. All 50 of the portraits will be displayed at one point or another. It's free to the public to come enjoy them. Um, and there will be a takeaway so people can see who's who and who the artist was and all that good kind of stuff. And I think um, based on my sort of informal discussions with strangers about here I am and and the portrait part and the text part, it is maybe the easiest way in. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm so thrilled Eric Holton has engaged Jocelyn to be one of our composers in residence because Jocelyn is such a visual person and she understands how to meld the two. It's a, a magical thing. Thanks to True Concord Managing Director Wells Kaufman and composer in residence Jocelyn Hagen. Hagen's composition, Here I Am, paired with selections from Mozart, will be sung by soprano Susanna Phillips, featuring the True Concord Choir and the Tucson Girls Chorus. Friday's event is at 7 p.m. at the Valley Presbyterian Church, Green Valley. The Saturday evening performance and the Sunday matinee will be at Catalina Foothills High School. There is a companion gallery show of portraits visible now at Hotel Congress, and you can find all the details at trueconcord.org. The classic play The Glass Menagerie explores family memories and the way we collect important events, both good and bad, in our minds. Over time, these moments can lose their vibrancy and become transparent and delicate like a tiny crystal sculpture. A new reimagining of Tennessee Williams' play also marks the local directorial debut of Chanel Bragg. Bragg currently serves as Associate Artistic Director for Arizona Theatre Company, which presents plays in both Tucson and Phoenix. Next, Bragg will be interviewed by Spotlight Assistant Producer Leah Britton. Can you tell me about your current role at the Arizona Theatre Company? I am part of the artistic team. Um, My role is integral to the artistic process. So uh, anything to do with our programming, um, assisting all the various different departments that are within the organization, and of course, anything that has anything to do with putting our beautiful shows on stage, uh, that is kind of in my purview. I create art and I get paid to do it, and it's really awesome. Sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) Was it easy for you to step into a director's role considering your experience? Yeah, it has been a really interesting ride so far being in this position and to step into uh, directing this show. So yes, I've been a director and a producer before now, for the last 15 years with little individual projects that I've put on. I was so grateful to Arizona Theatre Company for the opportunity to flex a new muscle uh, in artistic leadership. And since I've been with the organization, this is my actual directorial debut with my theater. So yes, I've been directing for many years, but this is the first time the state of Arizona will get to see my work professionally. And I am so grateful and humbled for this experience. And can you tell us a little bit more about that debut? Yes. So we are doing uh, Tennessee Williams' The Glass Menagerie, which is a audience favorite. Um, he is a titan <laughs> in the playwriting community. Uh, you know, when you think of those 
prolific playwrights you're thinking of, your August Wilsons and your Tennessee Williams. So when I was brought this title to direct, I just took a deep breath and I said, it's my first Tennessee Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm so ready for this incredible opportunity and to really have met this challenge because the work stands on its own. It's timeless. He is a brilliant writer, and the words jump off the page and tell you how to direct them. Can you tell us about some of the major themes of The Glass Menagerie? Ultimately, it's a story about love and devotion and loyalty and obligation. And it is a story about regret. And it's a story about loss and grief. And those are all things that I think is palpable for us all to feel at this time. When did you first encounter The Glass Menagerie? In college. So I was at NAU um, minoring in theater. And, you know, they make you take contemporary American theater classes. And that was the first time I was introduced to the Glass Menagerie. I'll be honest, I never saw myself in Glass Menagerie. I don't think I really understood it. Uh, it was written at a time that a lot of the work back then was pretty antiquated. And some of the language in it is also antiquated. And I was like, I don't know if I see myself in that story. Um, but that was a very great challenge because of course I should see myself in that story. It's a story about a family, and that is what unites us all. And so when it was presented to me to direct this, I was like, okay, Chanel, find yourself in this story. Why do you want to connect to it? And after deep delving and dramaturgical work and understanding how his family unit was with his family and then evaluating how my family unit, I was like, oh my God, I see so much of my family in the various different characters. What does this premiere mean to you? This premiere is pretty huge. This year was the first opportunity for me to truly direct. And fun fact, so our opening night is actually on my 40th birthday, which is exciting. So it is a first uh, professional debut, which is huge. It's a first as the first Black Associate Artistic Director for the company. Um, there's so many firsts with this production, and I am so honored to be able to do it. How is your passion for diversity and inclusion reflected in The Glass Menagerie? So with my casting, I chose the best that came to auditions. It just so happens that all of my cast members identify differently ethnically. It just worked out that way. They read the best in the room and it was most palpable. It was incredibly clear who was playing the mom, who was playing the son, who was playing the daughter. Um, and it wasn't with agenda. They were the best, and that's who I cast. Now, does that further my mission in diversity? Of course, my entire cast is diverse. But that process doesn't just stay with casting. That also means who's on your design team and what representation is there. You know, I have definitely made sure I had people of color on my design team. And then how does that also permeate throughout the remainder of the organization, too? Uh, diversity has been my biggest mission. And the one thing that I'm heralded for back home in Phoenix, um, I believe to and founded a group called the United Colors of Arizona Theater in which that is our focus. We have over 450 members that are all BIPOC actors and actresses that want to be seen by this community and we're an affinity space and a safe space for them um, to convene, to network, to learn, to grow. We hold workshops, we do uh, lots of different things that people are like, we need new headshots but we can't afford them. Okay, great. Then we went and found someone that was willing to donate the money for the headshots, found a photographer that was willing to donate their time, and we put it on. It's about filling the gap of what is needed, and I've been fortunate to be 
dedicated to that type of work for such a long time. How and when can our audiences see The Glass Menagerie? We have preview performances, and preview performances are fantastic because we're still a part of the integral process of putting um, the show together. So you'll see me probably with my laptop making notes still and other people, uh, a part of the design team, still tinkering away to um, make sure the show's at its very best in order for opening on January 27th. But if you do come um, for previews, it is a fantastic experience um, because you get to see it in its like raw stages as we just put everything together. So I always like to say, come to a preview and then come again later in the run to see how the show has grown from the preview to then but don't worry the preview show is always still really amazing and um, we just may decide to shift light cue in a different place because it'll help with the storytelling thank you so much for chatting with me today chanel it's been a pleasure getting to talk with you thank you you too Arizona Theatre Company's production of The Glass Menagerie, directed by Chanel Bragg, runs January 27th through February 11th, with previews on January 25th and 26th. It's at the Temple of Music and Art, and ticket information and details about COVID protocols are available at atc.org. The unspoken words of some non-speaking individuals are featured in a surprising way on a new album, Silently Loud. Musician, singer, and poet Brian Laidlaw is co-founder of a group called Unrestricted Interest that offers poetry and songwriting mentorships for autistic writers, especially those that are non-speaking. He lives in Moab, Utah. Tucson and Amy Burnham Griner is mom to Joshua, a 21-year-old non-speaking poet. She's also the executive director of a nonprofit called the Teva Community. Their mission is to create a residential community for non-speaking autistic adults. This Sunday, Laidlaw will visit Tucson to play the music of these non-speaking artists in a special concert Sunday at 2 p.m. at the UA Poetry Center. The album that we're celebrating in Tucson is called Silently Loud, and it's a compilation of songs written by non-speaking autistic writers over the last couple of years. Um, our organization got a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board to go into the recording studio, work with a wonderful producer, um, a handful of outstanding studio musicians based in the Twin Cities, um, and to make like our radio quality, super awesome sounding um, record of all of these incredible tunes that have been written with uh, the students that I've been mentoring. So. And it includes a song by by Josh um, and uh, a song by Alton Grubbs as well, um, who both of whom will be at the event this uh, coming weekend. Now, Josh or Joshua is your son, Amy. I'd like to ask you to tell the audience something about how your ability to communicate has grown over the years. Joshua, he's 21 now, and it wasn't until he was 13 that we really discovered this spelling to communicate method. Before that, we tried a lot of different methods for communication, including um, OGCOM device, which is a um, a device or an app that has um, supposedly full communication on it, like you can push, you know, want and pretzel and different things. Um, and he used that for a number of years, and that was um, 
it was better than nothing. It got him to be able to ask for pretzels and videos and requests, but it didn't really get much beyond that because he would kind of perseverate on the buttons and, you know, just all his um, autism made it difficult to use that as a communication method very effectively. And so then we stumbled on this um, method called um, spelling to communicate or another version of that is rapid prompting method. And with that, it kind of slows the body down and it teaches them to point and it teaches them to um, select the letters they want. It actually ends up being a lot more simple than a complicated device that has every word in the language, you know, that you have to push buttons and navigate how to get to them. Once you learn the 26 letters, they're there. And um, before, like if he was sick or he was crying or screaming, we would just go through a whole guessing game of, you know, well, maybe he's hungry or maybe his stomach hurts or maybe he has to go to the bathroom or maybe he's embarrassed. And now we can just ask him and he can tell us and he can advocate for himself um, with his doctors. And we found out that he was um, suffering depression from so many years of not being able to communicate um, effectively and, um, and also reflux. And so the reflux was treated successfully since he was able to tell his doctor that. And um, the depression is something that we're working on, but he's able to be involved in in the treatment and the effects of different medications. We kept thinking, you know, he's in there or something, you know, he understands more than we think he does, but it really wasn't until the spelling that we really were able to kind of meet him for the first time and really see what a kind person he is. And um, he has a lot of trauma from his school life from, you know, being made to identify colors and you know, he knows his colors, but they thought he didn't understand his colors because he couldn't point to the colors. Just a lot of that, you know, over and over for years, you know, you can think how traumatizing that would be. I'm trying to trust in a love that's real. I'm trying to trust in a love that's real. In a love that's mine I'm trying to trust In a love that's mine Reaching out will work out fine I'm trying to trust In a love that's mine So we just heard of some of A Love That's Real, which Joshua wrote, and it is a great song. It is so upbeat. I love the far- Farfisa organ sound that's on that. It gives it a really cool 60s pop feel. Yeah, so the the real pleasure of this work, of course, is that I'm working uh, with the student to get their lyrics written down, and you know Joshua is making all of the choices about you know what rhyme words he wants to use and and what sequence he wants the lines to happen in, um, and then there's always a point in the songwriting process where once we have the lyrics written, I then get to ask my collaborator what they want the music to sound like, since I'll be the person who's has the honor and privilege of singing the song that we've just written. Josh described wanting a sort of up-tempo, happy-feeling tune, which is very much in keeping with um, the spirit of the lyrics. Amy, the, the themes of the song are definitely about love and trust. What did you think the first time you read Joshua's lyrics? 
He writes a lot of love songs and love poems. He has a girlfriend um, who is also a non-speaker, and she's a poet. This was another song that, you know, he was writing to Sophia, and I always love those because they're always really special, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Merrily we go along Counting presents I think of flowers and their stems Blossoms and their scents did you notice these little things? Knowingly, I think of insects, their strong wings and kind love to the flowers. Did you know? Brian, you touched a moment ago on the way that some of these non-speaking poets see the world is a little different. Um, Things that we might take for granted, and the song Little Things is very specifically about that. Yeah, so this is a a song by Alton, um, who's another non-speaking autistic uh, poet and lyricist down in Arizona. A totally emblematic song about um, the kinds of really impressive highly detailed focus that a lot of autistic writers go through the world with. And Alton is just such a compassionate, um, thoughtful observer of the world around him. Um, And I think, uh, you know, this song both speaks to how perceptive he is, these little things that he's seeing um, in in his world, um, but also the depth of the compassion that he has for those things. So Alton, we've known Alton a long time since he started spelling, and um, I knew when he first started spelling that um, everything he says is so poetic. I was the one that introduced him to Brian because I couldn't wait to see what his actual poems and songs would come out with. So yeah, everything he writes is very exciting to me. You are my most precious and most cherished and most adored and most absolutely most we are so connected and so together and so united and so Amy, you also suggested that we check out a song called Absolute Most, and why was that important for you to share with the listeners? That's one of my favorite songs ever since I first heard it maybe a year ago. It's just stuck in my brain. And um, the person that wrote it, Danny Witte, is on the board of directors of of Teva Community. We have two non-speakers on our board of directors, and um, he wrote that initially for his mother, and um, I just think it's like the most beautiful 
song. The phrasing of it is all really unusual, and it's just one of my favorite. One of the sort of core tenets of pop songwriting is that it's wonderful to have something that sounds on one level familiar and then also has just a little bit of a twist that makes it um, ever so slightly a different flavor from what you would expect. And Danny's way of using language and putting those lyrics together, um, you know, kind of continually escalating with that word most is both like uh, really plain spoken and then also incredibly innovative um, from a sort of languaging standpoint. Um, And I think it just turned out to be an amazing pop song. It reminds me of the Beatles quite a bit. I spoke with musician Brian Laidlaw and Tucson autism advocate Amy Burnham Griner of the Teva community. The free Silently Loud concert is Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. at the UA Poetry Center, which is on campus at 1508 East Helen Street. Two of the contributing artists, Amy's son Joshua Griner and Alton Grubbs, will be part of a Q&A session as well. More information is at poetry.arizona.edu. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. This is a production of AZPM. Music is by Calexico. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The assistant producer is Leah Britton. I'm producer and host, Mark McLemore. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.